You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning, everybody. My name is Todd. Happy Veterans Day. Oh, yeah, that's my name. Uh, happy Veterans Day. Uh, didn't, I don't know if anybody knew that, uh, but it is Veterans Day, and actually it's a very special Veterans Day. It is the 100-year anniversary of the end of World War I, uh, which was, yes, <laughs> yes, and uh, uh, it is 100-year anniversary. Uh, it was originally called Armistice Day, but it's called Veterans Day now, and it's to celebrate the end of World War I, which was a major world skirmish, uh, taking the lives of many people. And at the time, uh, it was so horrific that they called it the war to end all wars. Uh, it wasn't the first war that ever happened in the history of the world, and it wasn't, as it turns out, the last one, right? Uh, that was back in 1918, so 100 years ago today, that war officially came to an end on paper. Uh, but there have been lots of fights since then, right? And uh, it seems like if you are looking around, it seems like everywhere somebody's upset about something um, or threatening to fight about something, and it would be bad enough if it was just out there, uh, but it's in our own lives, right? Is, is, does a week go by without some kind of skirmish, <laughs> in your, some kind of localized skirmish in your own life, some kind of tension or drama that goes on with people? Uh, we get into fights uh, with people over stuff, and sometimes it's just little stuff, you know, like uh, maybe on the way to church, you have had one this morning. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> maybe this morning trying to get ready for church. A lot of times it's like a stressful time. You've got to get out the door. Uh, you get tense with people. You get mad at people. And uh, this morning, James wants to tell you why. Wouldn't you like to know, like, what's going on out there? What's going on in our lives? Why is this always happening? Why are we always fighting? Why is there so much conflict in the world? Why is there so much conflict in our own lives, in our families, um, in, our, in our churches, in our communities? Why are people always fighting about something? If you'd like to know why, we're in James 4 this morning. He's going to answer that question specifically for us this morning. James knows what's going on. He's uh, looking in from the outside, and he can tell us exactly why we're fighting with people. He can tell you why that person's mad at you. Right now, there's people mad at you in your life, and you're like, I just don't, and you, you're boggled over it. Maybe you're just like, I don't know. What do they want from me? Or maybe you're mad at somebody else, but you just can't figure it out. Like, you're like, I just feel icky about that person. I don't know what's exactly. I just, you want to know why? James will tell you. James 4, look at the verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. He asks the question, what causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Every fight that you've ever been in, are in right now, we're in on the way to church, or will ever be in in the future, can be boiled down to this. Somebody wants something that they don't have. That's every fight. Every fight can be boiled down to that. That's what's happening in every fight you've been in. And it can change from fight to fight, right? Somebody wants respect, and they don't have it, and it makes them mad. Somebody wants love, control from somebody else, and they won't give it to them, and so they're, they're at war. They're fighting over it. Somebody wants appreciation, would somebody just say thank you? And since you don't, I'm mad at you because you never appreciate anything I do. That's why we're at fights. That's every fight you ever had. So take a moment. Think back on the, the fights of your life. You can reduce it. F- figure out and ask the question, who wanted what? 
Who wanted what? Like in those things that you're mad at somebody right now at, those skirmishes, those tensions between you and your mom, between you and your sibling, you and your coworkers? Who wants what? And who's not getting it? Because that's what's driving this. That's what's driving all of it. All the fights, all the quarrels, underneath it all, somebody wants something and they don't have it and it's making them upset. And you see what he says, like, when it comes to what we want, when, it's, when he's referring to us, like, why are we fighting with people? Why are you causing fights? Why are you mad at people? Because you don't have what you want. That's why you're mad at your mom. That's why you're mad at your dad. That's why you're mad at your roommate. You, you want something. You want them to clean the dishes, and they won't do it. So you're mad at them. <laughs> so it causes, you want something, and you don't have it. It's as simple as that. That's what's causing it. And James says, we're not disinterested spectators. Right? He said, what, what's, what's driving it? Your passions inside you. You're not just some disinterested spectator when it comes to the game of your life. <laughs> you're not just sitting back going, oh, well, I hope we win. I hope my team wins. No, you're like full-on body paint, <laughs> foam finger, tailgating since 5 a.m., cussing at the referee involved. <laughs> like you are interested in what happens in your life, and you, you are not just a spectator when it comes to what you want out of life. You are in it, and you are passionate about it. And just like one of those fans, you don't quite see the world right. <laughs> like, you've sat next to that person at the game, right? Like, any time a penalty is called on your team, the referee is an idiot. <laughs> like, we would never do anything wrong. Clearly, we weren't doing it. There's an explanation. It clearly makes sense. How dare you call a penalty on my team? Then on the other side, of course, if they miss a call... If, they, if somebody did something against our team and the referee didn't call it, we lose our mind, right? Because you're, you're, too, you're too in it. You're too, your passions are too involved in it. You can't see things right. It's the same thing with your life. You want stuff so badly that when you don't get it, you don't see things right. You call fouls on things that aren't really fouls. You, you right now are mad at people that have done nothing wrong. You just wanted something from them, and you, you're, 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 you're penalizing them, or you're, you're calling foul, and you're upset about it. And, and the same thing, you're doing this to other people. And anytime they call the foul on it or throw a flag on the play, you can't believe it. Like, I can't believe you would penalize me. I'm just being, you have a logical explanation, you can explain all of it. And this is the source of every fight that you're in, every fight you've ever been in, and every future fight you will have. So when you find yourself at odds with somebody in the future, listen to James pause and ask, who wants something right now? And a lot of times when people are yelling at you, they're telling you what they want. It's just not, they're not asking for it. They're just yelling at you. But if you listen carefully, you can hear what they actually wanted from you. Because that's usually what happens. They yell and scream. And in that, though, you can tell what they wanted from you. And at least you know what's going on. You can tell why they're so mad if they at least do you the, the service of yelling at you. And then you can at least know. Um, but we all do this, right? We all are very invested in what we want. We've all been there. We're all mad at somebody. We've had somebody even mad at us. Um, and we call this normal. This is just regular life. But James calls it murder. We're like, this is just a Tuesday, right? This is just another fight, another something on Facebook somebody said, and so I have to fire back at him. It's just regular life for us, but James, call, James calls it murder. Like, this is, this is the kind of stuff when we're mad at people, this is the kind of things we say is like, I'm done with you. You're dead to me. It's murder. And, and, and that's the start of it. And it grows up, and in the worst-case scenarios, it actually becomes the actual physical act of murder. But all murder starts there with this, like, this frustration, this, like, you're dead to me. And the worst murder of all is the silent treatment. <laughs> you guys familiar with this tactic? 
<laughs> you ever had somebody play this on you? You're dead to me. I'm not even going to acknowledge you exist. I'm not going to talk to you. When you talk, I'm not listening, and I'm not talking back. You can try as best as you want, but I'm dead to you because you're dead to me. And the silent treatment is murder. To do that to somebody is to murder them. It's to functionally erase them. You just erase them from your life. You don't exist. You're gone. You're dead to me. Look what he says in the second part of verse 2. You don't have... The reason why you don't have is because you don't ask. You don't ask. You just get mad, and you don't even say anything about it, and you pull the silent treatment on people, and you don't even tell them what you want. You just stew on it, and you're mad at them. And there are people right now that you are mad at who don't even know it. Right now, there, and you, if you just think in your head, like there is somebody who you're upset with for something because you wanted something that they didn't give you, and you're mad at them for it, and they don't even know. And probably vice versa. There are people who are mad at you right now who have icky feelings about you when they think about you because they want something from you, but they've never told you. You don't even ask. You just get mad. You don't even go the next step and at least do them the service of telling them what you wanted. But isn't that a curious thing? Like, if we want it so badly, why don't we ask? Like, if we really want it so much, why don't we ask? I think James points out, I think we think it's obvious. It should be obvious to them. You should know, Nick. You should know what I want. You should know, and that's why I'm mad at you. Because you know, even though I haven't said anything, you have to know, and so you're doing this on purpose. And so I'm mad, and it's an injustice that you're doing here. You know exactly what I want, and you won't give it to me. You know that I want respect, and you won't give it to me. So I'm mad at you, but I'm not going to tell you, because we all know it should be obvious to you. I want control. I want appreciation. You should know better. I'm not going to tell you, but you should know. And it's the injustice of it all that makes us really mad. Like, you know what I want, and you won't give it to me. But listen, James puts this directly back on you. You want to talk about injustice? You are mad at somebody, and you haven't told them why. You really want to play what's fair? You're mad at people, and you haven't even told them why you're mad at them. You want to play the injustice card? You are the one who is unjust. You're accusing them of withholding from you, And at the same time, you are withholding from them. You are accusing them of not giving you what you want. And you you know for a fact that you're not telling them even what it is. You want to play the fairness game. You are the one who's not doing them the service of at least telling them what you actually wanted out of it. And some of you might say, no, 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 wait, hold up a minute, Todd. Like, I have told them what I wanted. I didn't do the silent treatment garbage. I'm not like that. I come through the front door. I live life, you know. (laughs) I tweet and think later, you know. Like, I just do it, you know, like... Great, good for you, okay? So like, but telling somebody what you want is not the same as asking them. My kids do this all the time. I want piggyback, I want piggyback, I want piggyback. Like, that's not a question. (laughs) It's barely a sentence. (laughs) Like, I want piggyback, I want piggyback. So I know what you want when you say that. But you haven't said, there's a difference between I want piggyback and daddy, if you're not busy, (laughs) could I have a piggyback, please? (laughs) That's a question. That's asking me a question. But a lot of times what we do is we just tell people what we want. And we assume that because we've said what we wanted, now we've asked for it. Now, what you, you have communicated what you want, but that's not a question, right? And the reason why it's not a question is because you already assume the answer is yes. When I say what I want and you don't do it, I get mad because I just assume that you had to do it. And the way that you know that is because if somebody says no and you get mad, it wasn't really a question. Right? Like, if I have the right to say no, then that's a question. But if I can't say no, 
then you're not really asking. You're telling me what I have to do, right? <laughs> and so you have to make sure that when you're communicating, don't assume because you've said what you want that you've actually asked a question. Because asking a question requires humility. You can hear the difference between, I want piggyback, I want to go outside, and can I please go outside? One is a question, one is a demand. One is like a bank robbery, <laughs> and like where you're just sliding a list of demands over and you expect them to hop to. And the other one is an actual question, because when you ask it, you are actually asking a question. They can say no. That's when, how you know when you're asking a question. They can actually say no. You're not just telling them what they have to do for you. And look at what he says in verse 3. So even when you do ask, so he says the first problem is you don't ask, you pull the silent treatment stuff, but even when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly. You just state it as a, a want. You don't even ask the question right, and you do it to spend it on your own passions. The reason why you're asking isn't even like, isn't even some generous benevolent reason. It's some selfish reason in the first place. So you're not even really asking a question, and even when you do kind of phrase it, it's so aggressive and so selfish that the person would almost feel wrong giving it to you, right? It's like, oh, I don't even know if I should say yes because I can tell what you're going to do with it because it's not really a question because it's really selfish. Because selfishness is this. Selfishness is assuming that your wants should be other people's priorities. That's selfishness. When you assume that whatever you want ought to be your top priority, somebody else's top priority, that's selfishness. Just because you, I want it, you have to hop to and do it. That's selfishness. And all this would be bad enough if it were just horizontal. Like, this is, this is, James is describing every fight you're in with every person you've ever been in. And that would be bad enough if it was just this, right? Because that that's, that's explains a lot of the ickiness and the fighting and the conflict. But James is going to go to another level here. He's like, this isn't just about people. This is vertical as well. We don't just do this here. We do this when it comes to our relationship with God. This is all conflict across the board, not just how you get into tiffs and tussles with other people, but people who have beef with God, we do the same kind of shenanigans when it comes to him. We're mad at him because he doesn't give us what we want. It's his, his job. And, and with him, we can at least say, well, you know, you're God. Why should I have to ask? <laughs> Why am I spending all this time praying? You already know what I want. As though if like the only function of prayer was just to get things, like to pull a lever in the meantime, like that's what you reduce prayer to is just like God's a slot machine. I push B2 and out come the Cheetos. You know, like, but in that case, you can at least say, God, well, you already know what I want. Why should I even have to talk to you about it? We pull the same kind of stuff with him that we do with other people, and we start looking somewhere else. Because if God's not going to give it to us, then I'll look somewhere else. Look at verses 4 and 5. Look what James says. You adulterous people. You're so quick to leave and look for it somewhere else. You're so quick when you're not finding it at home. You're so quick to change addresses. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no, to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? When your wants are driving where you go, you will often find yourself away from home. You'll find other places to go because if home isn't doing it for you, you'll find somewhere else. You'll come back home at the end of the day, but you'll go somewhere else to get the things that you want. And then you'll try and create this compromise where you live in this home and I get my mail here, but I get my wants somewhere else. And you play that game. And, and I think James' question was originally rhetorical. He's like, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? I think that's rhetorical. It's not a real question. He's just like, yeah, this, he's stating something. But in our time, I think we really don't know that. <laughs> like he's like, 
just to be clear, if you are friends with the world, you are at war with God. Did you not know that? And this might be brand new. Back then, I think people just knew that, and he was saying it rhetorically. Now I think I need to be clear and clarify it. We, if you follow the world, you are stepping out on God. You can't be married to God and dating the world any more than I can be married to my wife and dating somebody else. You're like, well, I really like most stuff about you, but I like her lobster bisque. <laughs> so I, I, I'll come home, I sleep here, but when I want that, I go here. And, you know, I mean, what we're talking about, there's other specific things that I really like. I can't get here, so I'll find it over here or over here. You can't play that game with God. You do not have an open relationship with Jesus. You're not free to see other people. It doesn't work like that. You are not free to go find some of your wants other places. Jesus is the satisfaction of all of our wants. And when you have him, you have everything you could ever need or want. And so you stay at home. You don't play this game where you date other people. Because what's a faithful husband supposed to think of that? At the end of the day, his wife comes home and is like, hey, I'm here. It's like, where were you all day? Oh, dating other people. But I mean, I'm here. Like, what's a faithful husband supposed to think? Like, oh, I guess I'm glad you came back. I mean, like, is God supposed to be, like, appreciative of, like, oh, how nice of them. They came back this Sunday. Oh, how sweet. Is he supposed to, like, feel butterflies and rainbows about that? Like, all, ooh, summer day, like Luke was talking about. Yay. She came back. That's not how it works. And if you step out on God, like, if you invite somebody else into your bedroom, you have left your wife. You have left your husband. Even if you're all still there, you can say, well, they're still here. I mean, I didn't kick them out. You have left them. You've abandoned them by, by neglecting the, the covenant one-ship that you have with that person by inviting anybody else into that thing. And it's the same in real life with people, and it's the same with God. And so what has God done? It says in verse uh, 5, he's given us his spirit like, to protect us, to help us. And he's given us a spirit that yearns for us. And it says, even goes as far as to say he's jealous about it. Now, he's not jealous of you. Like, God isn't in the position where he, you have something he wants, and he's just so jealous that he can't have it, <laughs> right? He's not, he's not saying that. He's jealous for you, the way that a husband is jealous for his wife, the way that a wife is jealous for her husband. She loves him and wants him to be one with her and only her. God wants to be one with us and only us. He wants to be exclusive. He doesn't want this open relationship business. He doesn't do it. He doesn't want to see other, other people with respect to that regard of, like, trying to fill in the gaps where you don't satisfy him. He knows what he's getting himself into. He wants it to work it the other way around because God is jealous for his people. He's not disinterested either. He's not disinterested sitting by going like, well, I hope the game turns out the way I hoped it would. Like he's in it. And he's sent his spirit as a seal for those who he's called so that he might keep them. And so how does he fight for his wife? Like what is a good husband supposed to do? He fights for his marriage. He fights for the one. So what does God do? How does he fight Look at verses 6 through 10. How does God fight? But he gives more grace. That's how God fights for his wife. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. How does God fight for his wife? He gives more grace. He pours it on. As though though he hasn't given enough already, he gives more. Because yesterday's grace won't do. 
We maxed out that card. <laughs> we, we maxed out all the grace on yesterday's card. And so God gives more. Because without it, the relationship would end. It would come to an end. We would have irreconcilable differences. But God gives more grace. That's how he fights for his wife. And, and he gives something that's better than what we were asking him for in the first place. We probably didn't, like, we don't even think to ask for grace. We ask for other things that we want. But he gives better things than we even think to ask for, which is grace. So what's his conclusion here? What's his therefore? If all this is true, what should we do in light of the fact that God gives more grace? Stop submitting to your wants and submit your wants to God. Stop submitting to your wants. This might be brand new to you. As a father, I get the delight of sharing these things with kids who don't know stuff. Uh, But you don't have to do what you want to do. (laughs) Just because you felt like you wanted to do it, you don't have to. You can actually say no to the some things you want to do. Did you know that? Some of you need to know that. Because <laughs> some of you don't act like you know that. <laughs> but you can actually say no to yourself. You can, you can submit your wants to God. You don't have to be under your wants. Like, well, I just felt like I had to do it, so I had to do it. Because, I mean, my wants are the boss of me. They're not. And if you, especially if you are a Christian, they, you have the Holy Spirit. You do not have to say yes to yourself. You can say no to yourself and yes to God by submitting what you want to him. And so what's the action step that he gives you there? Is to resist the devil and he'll flee from you and to draw near to God. And God in his grace will actually draw near back to you. Like you will actually receive God back to you. If you want God, you will have him. Do you know that this morning? If you want God, you will have him. If you draw near to him, he will draw back. If you reach out your hand, he will reach his hand back to yours. He will. He says so right here. It's a promise. If you submit your wants to him, he will reach back to you. So cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's time to be done with the world. We need a clean break. Delete the contact. Stop calling them. Stop following them. Stop answering their text messages. It's time to have a clean break with the world, people. (laughs) It's time to be done with it. It's time to stop this affair. Cut it off and be done with it. It's time to clean our hands and be done with this thing. It's time to be done with all the mental back and forth of like, well, I get some stuff here and I get some stuff here, and when I add it all together, I have a happy life. Double-mindedness. Stop shopping around. It's time to, to change our minds, which is what the word repent literally means. Repent literally means change your mind. Have a change of mind. Agree with God on this one. Stop thinking that you know what's best for you. You don't. He does. Submit your wants to him. Stop being double-minded. Live one life, one single life, under one thought process with one thing that you do with your hands. Because this horizontal stuff cannot be separated from vertical. It's all connected. How we fight with people is connected to this idea of how we relate to God. Because it even says in 1 John, how can we say that we love God who we can't see when we don't love people who we see every day? All of it's connected. Our vertical and our horizontal, the fights, the conflict— Look how he finishes it out in 11 and 12, end of our passage for today. He connects this idea again. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. But there is only one lawgiver and one judge, and he is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? When we act like other people, and God exists to fulfill our wants, we are, end up judging them for falling short. 
If, if that's my judgment, if that's the rule of life, is that you exist to make me happy, when you don't make me happy, I judge you guilty. Or when God fails to make me happy, he's guilty. And when I die, me and the man upstairs are going to have some words. You heard that before? I don't think you'll be doing much talking, <laughs> if I understand the other scriptures correctly. There will be a one-sided conversation that takes place on that day, and it will be you doing a lot of listening. You cannot speak against other people and judge them as though they've wronged you for not giving you exactly what you want. If that's the rule of life, then now you're judging the way life should work. You're saying, God, I don't really care for the world that you've created. If I was running it, I'd do things differently. <laughs> and it would be better, at least for me. At the, at, the, at the end of the day, if I was running my own life, if I was running the world, I would make the world do what I wanted to do. But guess what? The world doesn't revolve around you. That shouldn't be brand new information. It was here before you were here, and it will be here after you're gone. World War I ended 100 years ago today. None of us, I suspect, were alive in this room at that date. Lots of things take place outside of us. The world doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around God. So submit yourself to him, humble yourself to him, and he will exalt you. Because when it's everybody else's responsibility to make you happy, <laughs> you will be very empty, and it will always be somebody else's fault. It's God's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's my sister's fault. It's my mom's fault. My dad's fault. The reason I'm unhappy is because somebody else isn't giving me what I want. Remember from the beginning. That's the source of every fight you're in right now. You want something from somebody who won't give it to you, and you're mad at them for it. That's the source of every fight that we're in. But when our wants are submitted to God, we have everything we want. So I'm free to love my neighbor because I don't need anything from them anymore. I might like things from them, but I don't need it at such a core level that I'm willing to go to war if you don't give it to me. Like when you have what you want in Jesus, it frees you up horizontally just to love people because I don't need anything from you in such, a, in such like a sick way that it, it's going like to define who I am unless I don't, if I don't have it, I don't know who I am. You do know who you are because you have Jesus. You don't need people to give you something to define you anymore. You're free to love God and to love people because you have what you want in him. So as we transition to a time of communion here, as we respond to the hearing of God's word, I have one verse I want to put up on the slide here for you. It's Romans 5, verse 10. And it says this. It says, While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This table set around the room here. There's one in each corner, four tables. These tables are set up for God's friends. It's a meal he wants to enjoy with his friends. He wants to share bread and a cup with his friends. And the beauty of this verse is that this table is set for friends, but it's also a reminder that every friend used to be an enemy. Every person who comes to this table who is now a friend of God started off in a different camp, wearing a different uniform, fighting for the wrong team. And a lot of that time was team me. I was wearing my own uniform. I was fighting for my team. I had my own foam finger. I was, had the body paint. I had a logo. I had a fight song. <laughs> All of it. It was me, me, me. But God has now invited people by making them friends, by converting them and changing them into Team Jesus. It's all about him now. And so this table represents an opportunity to be a friend of God, and that came at a cost. It came at the death of his son. Jesus had to die because we were on the wrong team. And God, didn't, God defeats all of his enemies, either by defeating the ones who resist or by converting them into his friends. And this morning, this table is a reminder of how much it costs God to offer friendship, to offer a handshake to us. It wasn't just as easy as wink, wink, nod, nod. It's not that big of a deal. Jesus had to die in order for friendship to be offered to you. And, and if you are friends with 
with him, you are friends with God. And so this table is set before us this morning as an opportunity to respond to the hearing of God's word, to lay down our wants, stop fighting with people because they won't give us what we want, stop being mad at God because he's holding out on us. It's an opportunity to say, you have not withheld your son. How can I accuse you of withholding anything from me? And I am free now to love people around me because I don't need anything from them. I have everything I need in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, for the clarity it provides, for, yeah, being able to reduce complicated issues of life down to simple things um, that all fights are just a matter of people not getting what they want. And that sounds too simple in some ways, but it is at the core of every fight that we're in or ever will be in. So please, by your spirit, help us to have what we want so that we don't start fights that aren't necessary, that we don't accuse people of things that they're not guilty of, and just allows us to be free to love people, to receive what they give to us, and not demand more than what what we are owed, not to assume that we should be the judge of the way the world works, but to let you be the judge, because you are the one lawgiver and judge, and you have the ability to save and to destroy. And so we pray that you would save us and destroy our sick desire to, to want to lead our own lives. Save us, redeem us, and destroy that tendency in us to be mad at people for not giving us what we want. Change our minds. Help us to repent, Holy Spirit, this morning, even right now. Change our minds to make the sole guiding principle of our lives what you want. May we care more about what you want than anything else, and may that drive everything. May that give us grateful hearts, happy to receive whatever your hand gives us, and the freedom to love our neighbors and to consider their interests above our own because we're redeemed and we're free from having to fight for ourselves. It's your name we pray. Amen.